Welcome to the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. We are excited to have Brett Bunch, Superintendent of the Brooklyn School District in Brooklyn, Arkansas, as our guest. Brooklyn School District is one of the fastest growing school districts in the state of Arkansas. Welcome, everyone, again to the Plexus Secondary and Education Leadership Podcast. Uh, we're very excited today to have our special guest, uh, Brett Bunch, the Superintendent of Brooklyn School District in Arkansas. Um, he's I've gotten to know him a little bit and read about him. Very impressive individual with uh, quite a, a unique pathway to his role as superintendent. And we're very pleased to have you, Brett. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, David. And, and again, I'm David Lindervers, Vice President of the Plexus Foundation. Um, you know, as I was doing some research and looking at Brett's background, it's, it's always amazing to find what we can see online about someone, whether that represents who you know, who you really are, Brett, or, or what it is. It's just, it's fun to discover things about people, especially with the kind of impact and things that you've done throughout your career. Um, you know, share a little bit with us about your journey to being a superintendent. What, what got you there? Well, thank you for asking. I've been very blessed in my journey. Uh, actually, I graduated from college and immediately moved to Hilo, Hawaii as a television news anchor. Oh, that's cool. Like news. So it's a long way from education. I spent about 20 years in uh, the business world as a business executive, working with uh, a cruise line and, and doing a lot of marketing and sales for uh, different organizations. And so from okay. that, I was very blessed to move into education. And that journey started with I'd actually left the business world because I'd spent like 300 nights on the road the last year I was with the company. Wow. Yes. And so I had a son. It's almost an entire year on the road. Yes. It was, I would, I lived outside of Atlanta and I would fly out of Atlanta on Monday or Sunday afternoon. And then when I'd get into Miami, I'd spend a day there. Then I'd go to Dallas, leave Dallas, go to Los Angeles, leave Los Angeles, go to Chicago, leave Chicago, go to New York, and then fly back home to Atlanta. Uh, and that was a week, maybe sometimes two weeks. So uh, it was time to get out of the business world. And I was, I'd retired from that and really was just going to see what the next journey was. And my son had researched um, what it would take for me to go the non-traditional route and become a teacher and a coach because he wanted me to coach him in football his senior year. And I was very blessed. We moved back to Arkansas where we were from and uh, he went to a small school. And so they hired me as (laughs) I hadn't played football in 20-something years <laughs> as the defensive coordinator. Okay. And so um, did that, and I taught economics, civics, U.S. history, and AP U.S. history. Okay. And so jumped through a bunch of hoops, got my uh, teaching license, uh, got to coach, got to coach him his senior year in football, and that was really special. Uh, and then I've just moved up from – teaching and coaching into a vice principal position, into a high school principal position. And I've been a superintendent for this is starting my ninth year. So I've been in education about 14 years and been very blessed on my journey. Yeah, that, that's a pretty incredible rise up to superintendent. And, you know, just to be able to coach your son's football team, that is pretty special. It, yes, sir. And I noticed on your education history, which is really interesting, is, you know, you get your B.A. 
finished up at UALR at, sorry, University of Arkansas, Little Rock. For those that you know, Arkansas, UALR is just rolls off the tongue. Yes. Um, in 86, and then the Masters in 2010, many years later. Yes. Yes. I had spent some, so much time in the business world. Yeah. I, you know, at one point, I moved my family seven times in nine years. It was always to advance. It was to move forward. And, and I have a daughter and a son and my lovely wife of 31 years. And we've just been very fortunate. But um, that was one of the hoops I had to jump through was to move into administration. I had to get my master's and then uh, my specialist degree. And then after that, I'm currently working on my doctorate. That's fantastic. I mean, that doctor, you, it's amazing when you start to get into the doctorate programs too, how your thinking changes again in the midst of how you embrace the education you're learning, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's very important. Uh, I don't have any doctors in my family, so it's very important for me to accomplish that. Uh, and I'm 58 years old, so you're never too old to try something different and do things in a different way. It's true. I mean, it sounds like you're always motivated. Um, and you keep going. I, I did notice that you're one of the fellows at SMU. Is that right? And leadership yes. impact fellows? Yes, sir. We, my, myself and my assistant superintendent here at Brooklyn leave, as a matter of fact, in the morning to go to Dallas and okay. tomorrow and Saturday for part of that program. And uh, it carries out through the entire year. It's superintendents and assistant superintendents from Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. You know, as I read, it sounds like a really neat program, just hearing and learning from other superintendents. Is that really what it's about, bringing you together? It is, and it's about uh, also improving your ability to be a good leader. Gotcha. An opportunity for you to build that network of uh, superintendents or assistant superintendents from other states, because we do things different here in Arkansas than they do in Texas, than they do in Mexico or Oklahoma. But the reality of all of it is, is you put the kids first in what you're doing and it's educate them is why we all do it. Yeah, that's, I think that's truly the most powerful thing about where you get to be as a superintendent versus the, the business world that, you know, the focus is more on profit and serving the customer where now you have students and families and community. And, you know, when, as I look at all the areas of responsibility as a superintendent, there's a number of you have what board superintendent relations, right? Personnel, you have professional negotiations, public school finance, curriculum, the transportation, food services, maintenance, and then you have school and community relations. That's quite a lot on your plate to juggle every day. It, it is, and and throw construction in on top of that. Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, we're we're currently in, or I'm currently in the fastest growing district in the state of Arkansas. Oh wow! We're averaging about 200 new students a year which is a lot because if you think back about 15 years ago, Brooklyn itself, the school district had about 700 students. Today, we're well over 3,000. Wow. Yes, it's, it's been a great growth process. Looking at the opportunity to be here and actually build for the future uh, and stay ahead of that curve. You know, right now, costs for building a new building are how outrageous. I'm sure they're even worse where you are. Yes. In Arkansas, three years ago, we could have built a uh, building for about $150 a square foot. Today, it's $325. Oof. 
I mean, you can almost like feel the the money draining out of the coffers and and your and your tax base going. What are you doing? What's going on with this? Exactly, and and we depend heavily on that tax base for the we get and what we get from the school and you know finance and and probably school law are two of the biggest things that a superintendent really has to keep an eye on in the state of Arkansas and really across the country. That makes a lot of sense. What is uh as far as your budget this year and some of your priorities? What do you, what are you looking at? Well, if you look at our budget, we just had a meeting to get the board to approve it last week, and and it's kind of crazy in Arkansas because you start school before your finalized budget's in place. Okay, <laughs> so uh, it, it is kind of crazy, but we will our budget for Brooklyn this year will have about a fifty five million dollar budget that. Uh, probably seven or eight million of that come from will actually come from our taxpayers. The rest comes from the state and the federal government. We have a high percentage of kids that are uh, actually free and reduced or a very high socioeconomically challenged population. So we don't get a lot of federal funds, but what we do, we have to maximize with what we're doing. And um, when you look at our budget, we're, to have to do a bond issue uh, in the next eight months to get another 20 to 24 million dollars to build another 55,000 square foot facility to house our intermediate school. You get, that growth is really hit, impacting you, isn't it? You have, yes, it's, it's really making us have to look at, at where we are. We will sign off on 20 brand new kindergarten classrooms this have the feeling that those will open full, which means each class will be anywhere from 18 to 20 kids um, in our kindergarten classrooms. There's your there's your two, 300 students a year growth right there, isn't it? Boom. Yes. And and I talked with the mayor uh, who is, who's great here in the community last yeah. week, and he said that we have already approved for our school district in this area 750 uh, permits for new single family dwellings for this upcoming year. Did you say 750? 750. Yes. Yes. It's, it's amazing. The growth that, that we're experiencing right between two larger cities. And so we're, we're really in a position that kids, because in Arkansas, we have what's called school of choice and those kids can decide their parents and them can decide if they want to go to a different school, but they have to apply for it and they have to be approved. And it's a process, but we approved 152 students from outside of our district to come into the district this year. That's incredible. It is. We're really blessed. And you're right that, you know, when you think about it from the service end, when you add that many students, you want their educational experience, their academic experience, everything to go well. And then that choice will continue to be a choice for those students and parents. Yes, sir. That's that's really what we're looking at. And then when you take into account uh, the education that they're getting here, when yeah. you look at uh, the opportunities that they have for career and technical advancement, for mm-hmm. college courses, uh, for the opportunity to take advanced placement courses, and then you look at our uh, athletics and band and club. We are very blessed to have really competitive teams 
uh, and a very competitive, uh, not only in sports, but with everything else we have. This is the first school district I've been in that we have 25 members on our cheer, senior high and junior high, 25 each. And they are very competitive. They, I believe they came in third last year in the nation. Um, and then we'll have 25 dancers for our and 25 for our junior high. So it's, it's quite competitive. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, that does change the school atmosphere, doesn't it? When you have that much interest. I know that uh, a good friend of mine lives in Tennessee and the middle school where his son goes in order for those girls to be on the cheer team, they have to do a from standing position, a back handspring without any challenge, just to be able to try out. That's crazy. It, it's and, that competitive. <laughs> and, and you have so many that try out. Uh, yes. That it's, uh, I've been at school districts where they didn't have to do cuts. Well, here we have to do cuts of, of uh, students that, you know, may not be there yet, but can, can definitely have the opportunity to try again. And, uh, but again, that brings its own challenges as well. That's true. We just have uh, approved building a new competitive track for our school and it's going to cost us about six million dollars to build a track hey that's incredible direct the building and then keeping dealing with the maintenance of it and all those various things huh it is and and land around here uh is is ridiculously high anywhere from 40 to sixty-five thousand dollars an acre which is not that high probably in california but for arkansas that's high. Yeah, it's going up. And so around you, when, when you look at the community around you, so do you interact with the universities around you and the colleges too as a superintendent? We do. Uh, as a matter of fact, close to us is uh, Arkansas State University uh, that we interact with quite a bit. We also are uh, reaching out to them for recruiting because we want to make sure that we have that pipeline field for new teachers that are coming out. Brooklyn's pretty much considered a destination school in the sense that if you're a destination school in Arkansas and there are a few here, uh, they usually don't take anyone that doesn't have at least three years of experience. So our teaching staff is, is, uh, has a lot of experience and we look at, uh, by working through the colleges and universities, we look yeah. That are going to graduate and give us that opportunity to build those relationships ahead of time. They also provide us with uh, college courses that our kids can take. Uh, if we don't have the career and technical here, we can send them to a local college and they can get some of that training. So a lot of uh, work between the two really takes place. That, that makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of having, you know, s- some seasoned, well-educated faculty members to teach your kids. And then having the schools come in to recruit the kids at the same time and dual enrollment, you really are looking at that whole piece. Yes, sir. And, and really where we want to head, David, is to make sure that we provide our students with whatever opportunity they want. We give them a voice in their education. They make some decisions on which route they want to take. And whether they want to go to college or they want to immediately get a career or they want to go in the military because we have a great uh, junior ROTC program here. And yeah. so it really makes it possible for them to take whatever direction they want to go and we help them get there. Our main goal is to make sure 
that our kids leave here and have the opportunities in life that all of us have had before them. You know, amen to that. I think that's so important. And it's just your role to facilitate that kind of excellence within your team. Um, obviously, your principals and your other leaders in the school district, your assistant superintendents are key to that. How do you keep them motivated? How do you, how do you get them engaged? You know, it's, it's a collaborative effort here in our district. We want to make sure that titles don't mean a whole lot to me. Yeah. Superintendent, I know the buck stops at my desk, which is okay. But the reality is, is, is as a superintendent, my responsibility is to make sure that those administrators are motivated and we fulfill their growth and dreams. Their goal yeah. is to do the same for the teachers, and it's all of our goal to do that for our kids. So you know, when you have those meetings with them and you let them have a voice in what's happening, they stay motivated and be transparent, making sure that they understand what their budget looks like, what they can spend, how it needs to work towards looking at data and making sure that we are fulfilling the needs of those kids as opposed to living on an island and, hey, I, I taught U.S. history. This is my domain. No, right. we have to work together. And that's what makes the, the big difference. You know, that's really good to hear because you're right about that engagement. Having friends who are principals and college friends who are presidents, you know, as I've watched them track through their careers, the people who they hire and who they work with are their lifeblood to making everything happen um, as a team and trusting each other that you really have each other's back when needed and you really have the best interests of the student. I mean, that's the bottom line. When you have to know that uh, the long run is to, I've had a successful life. I've had a great life. I want to make sure that those people that work with me, because I don't let them call me, you know, they'll slip up every once and say, oh, he's the boss. And I'll say, no, I'm not <laughs> the boss. We work together. Yeah. And I understand that I have to make some decisions that you may not have to, but the reality of it is, is my success is directly reflected by those people that work with me. I agree completely on that. Now, now with, with your school district and your local partnership stuff, I know that's a big part of you know, stuff for lack of a bit with your local partnerships with, you know, churches, corporations, and other businesses, who, who are you guys working with that way to engage in the school community? And those you things? know, we're, we're very fortunate to have a lot of partnerships. Uh, we're a small community, but the larger communities around us, they provide us opportunities with, uh, you know, we've got like Nestle and Post and Hytro and just organizations like that. Yeah. New, there's a new company that started up that we're working closely with called Empower, and uh, they are a technology company that works very close with us. We've worked with Apple. And, you know, it's key to build those partnerships within your community. Right. They are entrusting us every day with their kids. And we want to make sure that they have the ability to come into our school, that we respect them and and give them the opportunity. We have something that's called watchdogs and it's uh, dads in our elementary that actually um, come in and they will read to the kids. And we schedule this, we schedule it for them. They come in and read to the kids. They'll also walk the halls as an added level of security. So it really works out well to bring those in. We have so many volunteers that come in and help us in our school from the community. It's just amazing. And when you look at uh, Sonic or First, or First National Bank or 
just different organizations like that. Yeah. That put money into our school. We are very fortunate to uh, have those types of partnerships, but we want it to come back to them as well. Not just, hey, we need your money. It's, hey, we want you to be our partner and we want to benefit your business as well as ours. As a matter of fact, First National Bank, who we bank with, is actually going to do a, they've got a program that is a banking system that they put in your school that teaches banking. And so those type of partnerships are critical to education. You know, that's, that's really true. It's when you hear about partnerships, you know, people can be very critical of schools and school district partnerships. Like they're influencing what you're doing too much and this and that. But the reality is we, we're all in it together. The, the businesses and the banks and, you know, these companies that invest in the local community by living there and working there and, you know, giving their dollars to it. it having additional money into the schools is a huge help. And it's a win-win. It really is because, you know, without them, all of that comes back on, on the district and the taxpayers. And we are, are set forth and, and we are servants of our taxpaying base and of those parents and guardians of these kids. And so when you have that servant attitude, you want to make sure that you're giving back just as much as you're receiving. You know, that, that's a really good point. Um, it, you know, even here, at, uh, even here at, at Plexus, we have our foundation, which is dedicated to offering uh, tutoring opportunities for high school students at no charge, for example. Um, and then we have our, our other opportunity side, which is an opportunity network for students to engage. And there's so many things in here that partner on all sides and making sure that people know about that opportunity is key, right? And so your, your, your district working on those things. And I would imagine your business Acumen from many years helps to walk into a room with confidence that, hey, I understand how this works. I know what people are thinking. It does. It really helps. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons when I say I'm blessed that I moved so quickly into administration uh, because of my background and understanding finances, understanding uh, personnel and negotiations and, and how to make sure that we're doing what we need to make sure that our kids are being successful. You know, you talked about tutoring and, and opportunities like that. We provide tutoring. We also look at uh, making sure that our kids, we track them on a, a regular basis to make sure that they are doing what they need to do and getting what they need to do. It's not just about being able to, re able to regurgitate information. The reality right. is being able to master that information and move forward. And so that's what we really look for and hope that our kids can get that. And some kids, the best they're going to be able to do is a C. We have to push them to get to that C. And we have to help them to understand that it's okay. If that's the best that you have, we get the best out of you, and we're going to give you the best that we have. That's right. That's right. And, I, you know, when I, I had a principal uh, from Newton North High School in Massachusetts, Henry Turner, talk, and he said, you know, high school is one of those last times where all of our kids are forced to be together. And I, I really like the way he said that. I'm like, oh, it's true. It's a good point. And this is it. After that, you're on your own. You're out in the world. And the schools don't have the same kind of influence over what you think and how you can engage the world with so many different facets of your education. Are, are you finding anything in particular within your high school age students that's it's causing you guys to think about curriculum development or anything new that way? 
Well, and, and we've actually implemented some new curriculum for our kids and really looking at where they want to go. When I say we give them a voice, we want to know where they want to go because yeah. some of the jobs that are out there, uh, they're going to change careers, not just jobs. They'll change careers three, four, five times. And so we have to prepare them for the global market and being able to understand that it's not, uh, you have a lot of care here. There's a lot of care for you. Your parents are pushing you. We're pushing you. Once you leave us, you're going to have to have that on your own. You're going to have to have that. We hope to be able to develop that in them with what we do here in the school. And one thing that we are doing is looking at bringing our, our valedictorians and salutatorians back. Mm. I like that. out what may be, because these are, are your stars of, of your academic world. And so we want to know if we have missed anything. How can we better serve our students now for those students that are already out of school? And listening to them and them giving us the opportunity to understand that, then we can better serve the kids that are here now. Remember this, those students and everyone that came before who we currently have laid the foundation that we build upon today. That's true. We need to continue that and listen to them because they're out of school now. And so they have a great voice to be able to tell us, hey, we we need uh, we didn't do so great in chemistry in college just because we didn't have <laughs> this. And, this. Uh, and so listen to it. Let them guide you in how you can better serve your current students. Yeah, it's, it's very smart thinking that way with those school leaders, seeing where they're at. I mean, you, you could have valedictorian salutatorians 20, 30 years out who want to give back and want to be heard and have that voice be part of it. And we bring those in as well because we bring in people that are our, our alumni that yeah. are successful, that have businesses or are uh, bank presidents, vice presidents. Uh, they own their own business. They're out there in the real world doing things. And we want our kids to understand that could be you, that you can still be as successful. You don't have to be like this person, but the reality of it is, is their base started where you're at right now. And so if you learn that and you know that, then you value what you're doing. If you look at, at education and the landscape of education right now, David, yes, changes so rapidly, just coming out of COVID and understanding how different it is today than it was last year and the year before. Kids were actually given a disservice. We kept our kids here in Arkansas pretty much in school. I mean, we did some quarantining and, and sent the kids home. But for the most part, part the doors were open and yeah. we were able to have them in the classroom. And those that weren't here, we were doing distance learning with. But there were some gaps. And we had to fill those gaps quickly because the reality of it is, is our Garden class that are now in the second grade, if they were advanced, this is really their first year to have a full year of being face to face with a teacher. That's so true. After so many years, it's it's not like it was a few months; it was years. We yes, yes, and and the reality of it is, is we always want to keep our kids safe. We want to keep our staff safe. We want to make sure that we're doing everything to get that environment where they can flourish. That's right. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do. Uh, that's true. On a, on a non-COVID pandemic, two years we had, it's still difficult when you look at that. 
It is. And, and you know, one of the big things that, that we really have as a top priority, other than the educational part, is the school safety. Yeah. Make sure that we keep our kids safe. And we actually started something this year in the Brooklyn School District that we believe we're the only school in the state and maybe in the region or the nation. We have what we call a security command center. And it is manned whenever there are kids on campus, if there's an event taking place, there is someone in there watching all of the cameras across the district. We have direct con, uh, we have direct contact with local, uh, county, state officials that if anything takes place, not just for an active shooter, but uh, think about the weather. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Facility we have has a direct line into NOAA weather radio, and we're able to know if there's um, we're sitting right in dead smack in the middle of Tornado Alley. That's right. You guys are. I was going to say probably tornadoes are the biggest risk, huh? Yes. Yes. And we have a, a major train line that goes through here. We have uh, three trains a day. So if there's a derailment or the chemical spill or, you know, people, we've got a major gas line that runs through uh, part of our campus. Yeah. You have to be prepared for all of these things. And with this command center, we've really, stepped it up to that next level of keeping our kids safe and our staff. You know, I, I think that's a part that is often out of sight, out of mind for those of us that don't work every day with thousands of kids and families, moving them in and out and teachers and really pro providing a safe learning environment includes preparation like this, doesn't it? It does. And it, it includes working closely with your uh, local and your county police and EMTs and fire departments and having a solid plan in place uh, if anything does happen. Uh, you know, having that route to move your buses out without any them having to stop with kids local, having those uh, MOUs with uh, other schools or other churches or uh, community centers where you can take those kids that's large enough for you to be able to safely keep them safe and, and get them distributed to their parents. It's a, a daunting task, but the reality of it is it, it's easier to plan for, and you can't plan for everything, but it's easier to plan for it and be prepared for it than it is to get into it and not have an idea of what you're doing. You know, I, it's, as you say that, it makes me think again, like I love these conversations that we get to have because I think, once you start engaging all those local communities, it causes the local community to think greater as well in the midst of how are we going to do this? Yes. Yes. So, and, and getting the, com, uh, the commitment out of the parents, you know, practicing that, yeah. not just having it on paper, but actually practicing what's taking place and continuing the education, of not only your parents, but your staff, your students, making sure that those professionals that are going to come in and help you understand the layout of your school where everything's going to take place because we have five different campuses with that you've got to know the different buildings you've got to know who's in there and so it's very important to make sure that you're working with those professionals to help them do their job yeah i think that's a really really good point the, with the kids in the community looking at how are you going to lead you through that when the, when the incident happens? Because usually it's pretty quick when it happens. Boom, you got to be in action instantly. Yes, 
That's, that's tough. I, and I know I didn't share this with you, but as a, as a pilot myself, one time I was flying with my brother in a small plane. We are going from Connecticut to Pennsylvania. Um, I'm sorry, Connecticut to Ohio. My family's originally from Ohio, and I was in Connecticut. I was flying over there. And we're over the woods in Pennsylvania. There's nothing but trees and mountains. And I look out the window, and I say, what do you see out there? He's like, trees. I'm like, yep. Where are we going to land? He's like, I have no idea. I said, that's what I'm thinking about. What happens if something happens? How can you I? Got, yep. You've got to be proactive. Yep. You really do. Uh, you can't wait and be reactive to it. And uh, I mean, I guess you could, but it's not going to be the best turnout. Uh, oh. No, and you're right. In, in, in your role facilitating that kind of dialogue is so important and being able to, for this board of education to have confidence that you can work through those details and set those things up. And I, I think, you know, I know I said this already, I, the thing I love about that kind of work and that preparation is it truly does bring the community together and you start learning everything about the community you didn't even know existed, people's expertise and their commitment, and ideas come out. And it builds social relationships, you know, with your local police department, with your county sheriff's department, with surrounding areas. Uh, Because if we have, if we ever had an active shooter, then everybody's going to pour into this area, not just your local community, but those that are around you. And if you don't have a proper plan in place, it could be just chaos. Absolutely. I just fantastic to hear that you guys are engaged in that and that, that kind of planning. And I know that there was one thing I noticed too, and one of the write-up, I think you've been at Brooklyn for since July 1st. Is that right? June the 1st. I came in in June. June the 1st, just a few months. It's like, welcome home, right? Just get going. <laughs> <laughs> Jump right in and, and get your feet wet and uh, That's right. time to paddle because it's time to really get moving. But uh, again, you know, I've been in, uh, when I started in education, I was in a small district, about 660 kids when I was teaching. Uh, and when I was a principal, uh, moved from that into a smaller district that was about 600 kids as my first superintendent's job. It was uh, very eye-opening to me because it was extremely depressed. There were a lot of uh, socioeconomic challenges. And it was really located out away from everything. So you had a magazine. Yes. Yeah. And so you had to adapt well for that. And then I moved from magazine to Newport. Right. Newport was completely different. Went from 600 kids to about 1200 double in size. But then I had about 52% Caucasian and 48% African-American. Yeah. Completely uh, a change from when I was in magazine or equipment. And then I'm here. We did about 11% uh, other uh, denomination or other, uh, you know, we probably have about 5% African-American, about 8 or 4% Hispanic and Asian or other, and the rest is Caucasian. So it's really different. And one of the things that I've learned being here in Brooklyn is, about the community, I'll throw this out here. I just sat down with my elementary principal the other day. Yeah, they yeah. Do, they try and, and do a fundraiser for their kids to bring in more money. So they two weeks of uh, K through one and two selling cookie dough. And they raised 
$98,000 in two weeks selling cookie dough. So I said, we used to have cookies every day in Brooklyn. There's no question about it. But it's it's great that, that they have so much support from yes. that. And they'll use that money for uh, fall festival for their kids, for a spring opportunity for their kids, for field trips. It's just amazing what we're willing to do and give and, and really be a part of. I mean, that's just such good engagement in the district with the parents and their willingness to see that value in the midst of being in that kind of special district. Because you're right, it, it is interesting how different the districts are. And like you already, what we were chatting about even before the podcast started in California, I mean, it's incredibly diverse in the midst of everything you see from wherever you are. You can go from 100% agricultural community to a city within an hour, massive city, you know, 30 million people. And you're yes. just, and It's crazy. The yeah. education for those kids look different. That's why uh, yep. during my educational journey, I've said there's, there's really three things that need to happen to get back to respecting teachers for what they do because there's been a lot of respect that's lost and not teaching them as professionals. The other thing is is that they need to understand that we can't compare Brooklyn to, say, Jonesboro, which is close by, or Little Rock or Fort Smith because the demographics are completely different and the kids are learning differently. That's and right. So, you know, we're giving them the education they need to go out and compete in the global market. But at the same time, our education for our kids looks different from what they're providing over in Jonesboro because they have a different clientele. Yeah. And so it's that's part of the challenges. There's so much of the time that people want to compare. Let us compare this to this to this. Well, make, make fair comparisons and really don't even compare us at all because Someone said, well, you know, Brooklyn is the, the Valley View, which is another uh, school about our size that's been successful. And I said, no, Brooklyn is Brooklyn. Right. That's who we are. Right. Like that's that. who we need to be. Don't compare us to anyone. Don't compare us, compare us to ourselves. I like that. Respect for teachers, give up on the comparisons. Or, or like you said, be who you are in that yes. kind of identity. Yeah. And it's critical. Yeah. It's just critical for our kids because our kids may go work in Little Rock or they may go to uh, San Diego or San Francisco or, or Dallas or wherever, but we're going to give them those essential skills that they need and they have to build upon those and continue. You know, we talk about being lifelong learners. Uh, that's what we have to be because I learn something new just about every day. Like I said, I'm an old man, but I enjoy <laughs> learning. It's funny as we as we get older, you're like, am I really that old? Well, I guess so. And you look back, like, I've been driving for 40 years. What? How's that even possible? <laughs> let, let me tell you. And we are in that time of year where Monday we had tennis, the state or the district fair, uh, golf, junior high, football, volleyball. <laughs> And so, you know, somebody's got to be it. Most That's right. <laughs> and it's just like that in, in every week. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays are just the nights are, and the days are filled. Uh, and you're running and gunning, right? You're just on the move. <laughs> Supposed to be, yeah. And, and I do. 
<laughs> we, we spend a lot of time. I mean, it's a lot of, there are a lot of 12 to 15 hour days. And then our assistant superintendent. You know, that's very true in the, in the leadership part that the showing up and being present and engaging the community with what your school is doing is it's, it's a lot and you're trying to work and keep things moving that way and, and make sure that people see you and they hear you and, and they know you're just part of it because people want to see that. And the kids want to see it Yep. because when you're in the building, walking down the hall, they're like, Hey, Mr. Bess, you were at our game the other night. Yes, I was great job. Other than you threw the ball away twice. What what's happening there? And so you can have those type of relationships and conversations with kids and they feel even more cared for and wanted and they value their education even more. So my assistant superintendent, George Kennedy, he asked me the other day, he said, Mr. Munch, how in the world do we get our job done when we're going to all this stuff? I said, the most important thing are our kids and making sure that our administrators have what they need to give to their teachers so that teachers can educate these kids. And as long as we're doing that, the paperwork will wait. We can get that done, you know, at, at 6.30 in the morning until 8 when the, everybody's getting here. And we can do it after school from 3.30 to 5 or 6 or 7 or 8, just depending on what to get done. So, um, but always put those kids first. Uh, and, and, and I haven't done it here yet because I've only been here since June. I haven't found one yet. But normally in my board room, I will put a desk and a chair with a book mm-hmm. open on top of that desk. And I want the board members to see that every board meeting we have. So they know that each decision they're making is impacting someone that will be in a chair just like that the next day. Don't forget who we serve. That's true with the kids. Yes, sir. Kids are who we serve. We Every day. You know, in, in the higher education admissions world and enrollment, which I've been in for many, many years as well as, transcripts come in of, of work that students have done in high school. And whenever I would, we'd have team meetings all the time. One of the things I would tell the team is remember that is someone's work. That's what they produce. That's not, you can't just look at it as a piece of paper. This is represents someone and what they've invested and what they've done and who they are. So, you know, think about that as a student, every single time you look at a transcript, that's a student, that's a student. There's a face, there's a name, there's a story really what I hope to do here in Brooklyn is I've been attempting to do at every district I've been in uh, ever since I've been in education is to make sure that when one of our students graduates and they have to go to college and the college acceptance people see that they graduated from Brooklyn school district, that their application goes to the top of the pile because where they graduated from. When they go and apply for a job, that their application goes to the top of the pile because they came from Brooklyn school district is a testament to our staff and the hard work and dedication that they have. And I can't say enough about the people that work with me here. Uh, some great, great educators, great support staff, great administrators, and all of them working together to make sure that we produce a great student and that they have the opportunities in life that we want them to have so I love it. I mean, that is really just a great way to end the podcast. It's just the people. It's all about the people raising up the teachers and the students and making them the priorities they do the best they can for our kids, 100%. I agree. And that's what we're here for. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time and just having a great conversation, learning more about Brooklyn. 
you know, I knew a little bit from what I've read, but, you know, to hear from you, the superintendent, just hear your passion, excitement, and the fact that you're continuing to learn to be a better leader every day, you know, through the SMU program, um, Southern Methodist University, let me say that out loud, the whole thing. It's just fantastic for the district and for you. So and and it is. Well, again, blessed beyond words and to be able to work with the staff that I have, to be able to take part in these different programs, it, it's beyond measure. And always having that servant attitude. Make sure that you're serving those that you work with. Sam, thank you, Brett. Appreciate your time. What a wonderful podcast. Thanks, David. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.